Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Wednesday show for week four of this year's NBA season. Uh, first of all, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show and or welcome back to the show. Ooh. We're off to a hot start with the throat clearing, but uh, whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast, either way, we really appreciate your support and uh, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, for today's show, we're going to mainly just uh, focus on game summaries. Uh, we'll have a couple other talking points as well. I originally had in mind that we do just you know the five games again, kind of what we've done on most days and especially on Mondays where we have our five on five drills segment. Um, excuse me. But this, uh, this episode, there was such a crazy series of, uh, of games, especially last night that it felt pertinent to, um, do a little more in depth, do seven games more in depth and then kind of briefly summarize the rest. Um, so let's waste no more time. Let's get right into it. We're going to start with, man, we're going to start with me not being able to, uh, to speak right now. Let's get one last drink of water in before we do this for real. Okay, let's see how we can uh, hold up here. Let's start with one game from Monday night. We had four games on Monday. We're going to start with the the final game to finish of those games or to start at least. Uh, The Sacramento Kings hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers, getting the win at home 132 to 120. I wanted to talk about this one simply because in our power rankings, uh, just a couple of days ago from when we were evaluating up till, you know, that point in the season, um, we talked about the Kings and the Cavaliers being kind of near the same territory, uh, sniffing the top 10 of the NBA. You know, we know they have the talent. They've been a little hit or miss. Um, so I thought it'd be good to look into kind of both these teams, uh, Sacramento getting the win with that one. Um, looking at the flow of the game, um, Sacramento really was just a little more well-rounded uh, as a whole in this game. They led for most of the game. There was lead changes early in the first quarter, but after that, the Kings were able to take a good lead, and they led by as much as 21 at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, they out outplayed the Cavs in assists. They got eight more assists. They had a few more blocks. But overall, they just shot better percentages from the floor. They shot nearly 10% better from the floor, even though they were outshot by almost 20% from the free throw line. Um, When you're making your twos at a twos and threes at a better percentage than, uh, than your ones compared to the other team, you know, that you can make up for that difference. I suppose Uh, Cleveland though had a lot to like, as far as a, uh, a widespread offensive output. They had seven players in double figures led by Donovan Mitchell. You'd expect only with 22, uh, five assists as well and a steal and a block four of nine from three point range. They got 21 points off the bench from Karis Levert, one of the uh, maybe a, a dark horse candidate for sixth man of the year, the way he's played in a lot of games this season. Uh, Max Struess with 19 points. They had uh, 16 each from both Evan Mobley and Darius Garland Mobley also with 12 rebounds and then 12 points each for both Jarrett Allen and George Niang uh, Niang's points coming off the bench. Well spread, good rebounding from Mobley and Allen. Um, <clears throat> just not as great of a shooting night, and they didn't 
you know, move the ball around quite as, as crisply as the, the Kings did, I suppose. They had six players in double figures. We also had four of those at least 20 points. So just a little more potent from their, their top performers. One of them being De'Aaron Fox leading them in scoring 28 points, six assists. He's back from that brief ankle injury. Um, <clears throat> definitely good to have him back. One of the top players in today's game, Keegan Murray, 25 points and eight boards. I really would like to see him have a strong sophomore season. I feel like he's a sneaky, good player that could suddenly break out and be, you know, right with Fox and Sabonis, maybe they have a, a pseudo big three, if you will. And maybe that's stretching it, but I like him as a player. Uh, n- nice game, certainly for him. And that, in that one, he had, he was five of eight from three point range. Um, and another guy who was hot from three, Kevin Herter, six for nine in this game for 20 points on the game. And then Demona Sabonis, 23 points, 10 assists, nine rebounds and two blocks. Just barely missing out on the triple double there. Uh, the two other guys in double figures, Malik Monk with 13 points off the bench, five boards, four assists as well. And then 11 points from Sasha Vasenkov, three of five from three point range. And I love him fulfilling some of that promise as far as just knocking him down a stretch four, maybe a stretch five, if you really want to, you know, go a smaller lineup, but he's been a great fit. I think the Kings, they've been, like I said, a little bit with both teams hit or miss to start the season. I kind of like their chances better in terms of finishing higher in the at the end of the season than the Cavs in a in a power rankings or a, just a season standings. But both teams should be very good. You know, I'm I'm not too concerned with either of them having a little bit of a sluggish start. But yeah, great win for the Kings on Monday night. With that, let's jump to the craziness that was last night's action. Tuesday, of course, the third night of in season tournament action of group play action, and we start with. Uh, the first of those games, the Indiana Pacers winning in Philadelphia against the Sixers, 132 to 126, your final score. Tyrese Halliburton really powering the win here. And the win looked like a, a sure thing for Indiana. Up until the fourth, it was a little in doubt at the beginning of fourth. Sixers took a brief lead at that point, but then the Pacers were able to recover it and uh, close out the uh close out the job i suppose look at this thing the uh the scores rather for the sixers uh joel Embiid, 39 points 12 boards six assists three steals putting together one of those Embiid type stat lines he was 17 of 17 from the free throw line helped make up for an o of four shooting night from three point range but still a very good game all round d'anthony melton actually with 30 points in this one four boards three assists 10 of 10 from the free throw line and he was four of six from three-point range. And then Tyrese Maxey, 27 points, four boards, five assists, seven of seven from the free-throw line. So those three guys combined to go 34 of 34 from the free-throw line, and they shot all but one of Philadelphia's free-throws, the other one being Tobias Harris, who missed that free-throw. So he ruined their chances of shooting perfect from the line as a team. Um, Tobias, I still like you, though. He still finished well uh, generally, 22 points, seven boards, three assists. Uh, by the way, Maxi two of five from three, um, those four were stellar, you know, and you would think that'd be enough to kind of pull together a win outside of that. They had four other players total for eight points. So maybe that hurts you in a sense, but still, you know, four guys had great games or, or good to great games, but then for the Pacers, yeah, just a little more spread out. And they happen to have Tyrese Halliburton on their team, 33 points, 15 assists, 
seven boards, two steals and a block, seven of 12 from three-point range. He was 61% from the floor overall. That's an incredible stat line. I'm going to look for him to hopefully be a candidate in our weekly MVP because that alone, that's a hot start to his uh, his week in general. He got 27 points from Obi Toppin starting in this game, six boards as well. Uh, 17 points from Miles Turner, 14 points from Bruce Brown, and then 11 points off the bench for TJ McConnell. But again, they also got, you know, eight points from Benedict Matherin, seven points from Isaiah Jackson. So those little points from all, a lot of other guys kind of help make up the difference. So those things matter. But talking about Halliburton in particular, over his last two games, so this game and the game before it, which I believe was on Sunday, and it might have been against the Sixers as well, but... In those two games, he totaled 32 assists combined and zero turnovers, which is the the most amount of assists, most amount of assists across a two game period with no turnovers in NBA history. Uh, passing Jason Williams, I believe, was uh, the previous record holder. So that's pretty stellar company to be in. And then you combine that with just his all star level play in general. Of course, he was an all star last season, but he's at the very least maintain that I feel like he's taken a step further. The Pacers have been very good in the East so far. They've, they've jumped way up into my top 10 uh, in the most recent power rankings. They look very good. That's a huge statement win against the Sixers team that was looking for nine straight wins. Uh, Sixers still very good as well, but uh, again, a great overall win for the Indiana Pacers and especially an in-season tournament win uh, in group play. That's going to be valuable uh, and we'll look at the standings for the in-season tournament at the end of our game summaries. But for now, let's jump to our next game. Uh, <clears throat> one that we mentioned, but I didn't even think about the, the storyline behind it. The Oklahoma City Thunder hosting the San Antonio Spurs, the first in-season regular season matchup of Wembenyama and Chet Holmgren. Lots of stories there. The Thunder able to come out on top more because of the forgotten all-star and maybe MVP candidate, Shea Gilders-Alexander. Uh, the Thunder win at 123 to 87, huge win for them. Um, and it was close through the first half, but then the Thunder just kind of uh, blew up in the floodgates in the third, and it was over at that point. Um, and uh, looking at the scores for the Spurs, no one scored more than 13 points in this game. Uh, four guys in double figures, Julian Champagne or Champagne, uh, and Zach Collins with 13 points each. 12 points for Devin Vassell, 11 points for Malachi Branham. Wembenyama, 8 points, 14 rebounds, 2 blocks, 2 assists. So still putting some stats together. He seems like he's struggled in recent games. Maybe as there's a little more tape on him, tendencies, some of those things, you know, he's that's something he'll have to overcome after such a, an exciting start to the season. Um, but, you know, even with a tough scoring night, still doing a lot of things that are valuable for sure. Um yeah, just a, a struggle game in general for the Spurs. Meanwhile, for the Thunder, SGA, 28 points, six boards, five assists. And how about this? Seven steals. That is crazy. I mean, he he can be a very underrated defender. He gets plenty of steals, and, and he gets a good amount of blocks too. But seven steals in a game is pretty phenomenal, to say the least. Um, yeah, great game for him. They got 18 points from Josh Giddy with seven boards, seven assists, and then 11 points from Jalen Williams. And those were actually the only three double-figure scorers for the Thunder, which is surprising. But then you look at how many other guys got points. I mean, you got nine from Chet Holmgren, 
with seven boards, two steals, a block. You got nine from Case and Wallace. You got nine from Kendrick Williams, eight from uh, Vasily uh, Micic. I need to look at the pronunciation for that one. He's a he's a rookie this season. I know that much. Um, I apologize, but good game for you. Uh, eight points for Isaiah Joe. Uh, six points for Lou Dort, six points for Lindy Waters, the third. I mean, just all sorts of guys pouring in points. Uh, as a team, they shot about 51% from the floor. The Spurs shot about 38%. And that's uh, a good way to, to summarize it. Just when you shoot poorly, that's going to be a big factor in you losing the game. And when you turn the ball over seven times to one guy, not a great thing as well. So a uh, great statement win for the Thunder there. Let's go ahead and move on to... Uh, our fourth game here, the New Orleans Pelicans hosting the Dallas Mavericks, and they get the win 131 to 110 in this one. Um, yeah, Pelicans really owned this game. They led by 20 points uh, at the beginning of the third quarter and then built that. They had a, a 33 point lead in the fourth, uh, really just controlled this game kind of beginning to end for the most part. Looking at the scores for the Mavericks. They had uh, 17 each from both Kyrie Irving and Tim Hardaway Jr. Irving with six assists as well. 16 from Luka Doncic, but also eight turnovers. Definitely costly there. And then 10 points from Grant Williams. Uh, All four of those guys mentioned hit three three three-pointers. So that's something. But then for the Pelicans, six guys in double figures, 25 points each for both Brandon Ingram and Jordan Hawkins. Hawkins coming off the bench again showing why I had a good feeling about him based on really, I didn't know much about him other than he's a shooting guard from Yukon, but five of 12 from three point range Ingram with nine boards, seven assists and two steals. Uh, and then they also got 19 each from Zion Williamson and Herb Jones. Good to see Herbert Jones back in the lineup there. Um, I believe it was Herb Jones that had a, an injury of some sort he was dealing with. Yeah. Herb Jones with five steals and two blocks. How about his defense and his impact there? Uh, Dyson Daniels starting at point guard with three steals, 10.6 assists as well. 16 off the bench for Najee Marshall, including an impressive uh, buzzer beater. Uh, I want to say it was about a, a three quarter court buzzer beater. I think that was Najee Marshall's um, a lot of buzzer beaters in last night's action. So definitely a strong game for him and the Pelicans really pulling it together. And that's without head coach, uh, Willie green. He was out, um, with a non COVID illness. So assistant coach, James Borrego, who has been a head coach in the past, he coached with the Hornets for a few seasons. He took over, um, and the Pelicans are able to get the win in green's absence. So a strong win for the Pelicans there. Let's jump to the next one. I'm excited to talk about this one, especially with the struggles they've had to start the season. But the Utah Jazz won at home against the Portland Trail Blazers, 115 to 99. Jordan Clarkson with a big game in this one. Um, just kept it close, honestly. I mean, at the beginning of the fourth, it was within a couple of points, but then the Jazz had a nice run to uh, build a 10 plus point lead. And they're able to close out the victory. They're two and zero so far in the in season tournament, which is very exciting to uh, to see. Looking at things for the Trailblazers, Jeremy Grant with twenty six points, twenty two points, ten boards for DeAndre Ayton, seventeen points, eight boards, seven assists, and two steals for Shaden Sharp, and then twelve points off the bench for Jabari Walker. Skylar Mays with ten assists, starting at point guard. He's had a nice few games, uh, you know, playing kind of above what you'd expect. 
But then for the Jazz, six players in double figures, led by Clarkson, 30 points, three assists and two steals. But he was four of nine from three-point range. Uh, pretty good game. They had 21 points, nine boards from Lowry Markinen, starting technically at center in this game, uh, with Ochai Agbaji getting a start uh, in place of, well, of course, the whole lineup's been in place of Walker Kessler, who's been out for a week or so and is going to be out for maybe another week. Um, if I remember, it was an elbow injury. Uh, John Collins, 14 points, 10 boards, three blocks and a steal. Very impressive all-around stats there. Keontae George starting 15.7 assists, a steal. I like to see him get more run, starting to grow a little bit more. Kelly Olenek with 12 points, 12 boards off the bench, and then 13 points for Colin Sexton as well. Um, yeah, decent all-around game for the team, especially for Clarkson. They get the win, and again, we'll talk more about rankings and, and in-season tournament standings, but so far, that's a, that's a great win for the Jazz. Uh, let's jump to uh, the the penultimate game, the second to last game we'll talk about uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are winning on the road uh, for the second time in a row in golden state against the warriors. One Oh four, one one, a close game in this one back and forth affair warriors led by 12 at the beginning of the third before the Timberwolves made a nice run at the end. Uh, a wild game for multiple reasons. We'll start with the box scores for the, uh, for the warriors first 23 points from uh, Brandon, Pojemski actually off the bench with seven boards, five assists. No Stephen Curry in this one. We'll talk about that in a moment. Dario Sarge, 21 points, four assists, two steals, four boards uh, starting. I like to see his play there. 15 points from Chris Paul starting, five boards, four assists, three steals. And then 12 boards off the bench for Kevon Looney. Uh, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson leaving the game very early. Um, and we'll get to that in just a moment as well. But uh, for Minnesota, uh, they were led by Carl Anthony Towns, 33 points, 11 boards, two assists, two steals, 20 points from Anthony Edwards, four and four and rebounds and assists with three steals. Gobert with 13 boards and two assists and three blocks. And then uh, 13 for Mike Conley with eight assists and then 10 points off the bench for Nas Reed. Uh, similar to a lot of stat lines they put up previously, Jaden McDaniels leaving the game early as well. And we'll talk about it. They, uh, there was a brawl very early in this game uh, from what it looked like. Um, the want to say the Timberwolves got the stop and were bringing the ball back up the other way. And Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels had been kind of jostling with each other in, in the, you know, the rebound loose battle type situation or loose ball battle type situation. Um, they get really into it. They're grappling, they're jostling and they're they in jerseys get torn. Clay Thompson's Jersey was completely torn. So, so he gets get kind of thrown to the side and he's, he's going after Jane McDaniels. Gobert comes in to try and, it appears to be a peacemaker and he he goes to grab Clay Thompson and then Draymond Green, just who you need in this situation. He comes in and grabs Gobert much more aggressively and gets Gobert in a, a chokehold, the arm completely around the neck and is pulling him away. Bizarre. Yeah. You know, Gobert looked like he was trying to break the situation up and then green just goes in to escalate the situation further. 
There ends up being two separate piles of players being pulled off wild stuff. Um, and word is today that the NBA is going to review that further. Um, the incident itself, information surrounding the incident, player histories, all that kind of stuff. And there could be suspensions. Um, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see Draymond suspended. Um, he might pull the Bill Lambeer card of victimized by my reputation. But when you grab a guy in a chokehold for seemingly no reason, and I defend Draymond a lot as far as his unique abilities as a player and what he brought to the championship teams, those four title teams. I mean, I they maybe win one or two, maybe not even that without Draymond, you know, that Im- the impact he has. But especially the last few seasons, there's something that's just elevated in certain ways about his his intensity, his physicality, his aggressiveness. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him suspended. Maybe you have a, a light game or two for Clay Thompson or Jade McDaniels. Um, I'd be very surprised if Gobert got anything because he really didn't have any any part in it, it looked like. But a wild series of events, wild fight, um, one of two different kind of scuffles that happened, at least that we saw or that I was updated on <clears throat> from last night's action. We had, we had, you know, intensity fights. We had buzzer beaters in the third night of action. The NBA's in-season tournament is definitely producing the theatrics and the intrigue that they would have hoped. And if you want to be, you know, a devil's advocate or just start something for no reason, you know, no basis whatsoever, but start a conspiracy theory. Oh, they they paid the players to fight so that it would boost ratings. There's no basis for that whatsoever. And I don't know why that was a, a joke that kind of came to mind, but that was something I thought of like, man, that both happening on the night of the in-season tournament. You know, it's funny to think about. But anyways. Yeah, great win for the Timberwolves. That was their seventh. Let me make sure I get that stat correct. Seventh straight victory, which was the first time they've won seven straight games since 2004, the 2004 season. And that just happened to be the best season in their franchise's history when they made the conference finals with a guy by the name of Kevin Garnett. So if you're the Timberwolves, that's company you'd like to be in and uh, a great win for them overall. Let's jump to that last game we're going to focus on. Real quick, let me try and quench my thirst real quick. I'm sure that's always lovely for you, the audience, to listen to. Um, Our final game we're going to focus on in detail. We're talking the Denver Nuggets hosting the LA Clippers in a very tight game down to the wire. Clippers have a chance to tie it with a uh, a three-point attempt by Paul George, and he he wedges it. If you're not familiar with the term, when the ball gets caught between the backboard and the rim, you know, kind of rim level, that's a wedgie. And he did that on a three point attempt to try and tie the game in the final seconds. Wild stuff. It it gets to uh, win the tip ball and you kind of win the game scenario and the nuggets are able to control the tip ball and they, uh, they win the game back and forth affair three lead changes, but you know, there were runs. The Clippers started with a nice run. The Nuggets 
led through the second quarter at the end of the third the clippers took the lead back and then the nuggets took the lead late in the fourth so kind of bigger flows back and forth between the two teams you know the clippers out rebounded the nuggets they had six more steals uh they didn't turn it over as much but they didn't shoot that great from the floor in general they shot better from three-point range and the free throw line so i mean there's a lot of stats kind of back and forth for both teams um so very evident of how the game itself went. Let's check out the box scores first for the Clippers. Paul George, 35 points, seven boards, three assists, three steals, 21 points for James Harden. His best scoring performance as a Clipper so far, uh, three of eight from the three, uh, three point range. Paul George was four of 11. They got 15 from Kawhi Leonard and five steals, uh, 14 points off the bench for Norman Powell. Westbrook with six boards, three assists, two steals, and then Zubats with 13 rebounds. Again, those guys individually doing solidly. They didn't go very deep. They only had three guys coming off the bench. Meanwhile, for the Nuggets, uh, Jokic doing his thing, 32 points, 16 rebounds, nine assists, hit all 14 of his free throw attempts, even though he didn't shoot, and he didn't shoot that well from the floor, but those free throws will help make up for it, certainly. Uh, 20 points from Aaron Gordon. Five boards, five assists as well. 18 points for Reggie Jackson, and then 10 points off the bench for Christian Brown. Also, 10 points for Michael Porter Jr., and nine points for Contavious Caldwell Pope. A little better all around game. You know, they were able to close out the win uh, with that type of a game. And uh, they are looking very good in the in season tournament standings as well. Um, before we look at those standings, let's real quick. Uh, make sure we cover everything else that we didn't have a chance to talk about. Firstly, the Toronto Raptors won at home on Monday against Washington Wizards, 111 to 107. And this was capped off by a huge run at the end of the game. Um, about the last six minutes of the fourth quarter, uh, I believe it was a 21 to one run by the Raptors to steal the win in a sense. Um, Pascal Siakam in particular had a great game. He had <clears throat> how many in the fourth? That doesn't seem correct. In the third, maybe. Yeah, he had 22 points in the third quarter. Um, he had 29 in the second half. Overall had uh, 39 to help power the victory in that one. So Siakam coming up big as the Raptors get that win there uh, on Monday, the Celtics beat the uh, New York Knicks in Boston, 114 to 98, Jason Tatum, 35 points, six boards, seven assists. And then the bucks won in Milwaukee against the bulls, 118 to 109. Giannis with 35 points, 11 rebounds. That was the rest of your Monday action. As far as Tuesday games, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Atlanta Hawks one in Detroit against the Pistons, 126 to 120. Uh, despite a big poster dunk from Asar Thompson on Clint Capella, uh, the Hawks still get the win. DeJounte Murray, 32 points, 10 assists. The Miami Heat won in Charlotte against the Hornets, 111 to 105. Butler with 32 points, 5 assists, 4 rebounds. Lamella Ball, 28 points, 11 assists. The uh, Brooklyn Nets won at home against the Orlando Magic, 124 to 104. Spencer Dinwiddie, a big game, 29 points, 9 assists, and 5 boards. And then finally, the last game, uh, a big win for the Los Angeles Lakers at home against Memphis Grizzlies, 134 to 107, a scuffle in this one as well. Um, This time it was 
Anthony Davis on the break with Santi Aldama with a contest and a little physical after the bucket goes. And Anthony Davis is trying to run back to get back on defense. Aldama gets a, you know, he, it, it happens a lot. So you wonder if there's, you know, a plan of I'm going to grab the ball off the make and I'm going to walk into you or through you to try and get to the baseline from my perspective, or at least what I want the perspective to look like. I'm just trying to be able to inbound the ball and you're running into me. Whereas it could be the other way around. AD takes offense to it. He shoves Aldama and then Desmond Bain comes in and they Bain and Davis exchange words Definitely exciting stuff there. But again, the Lakers come out on top. Davis with 19 points, 11 boards, um, able to get the win there. Their home debut in the in-season tournament, as it was for a few other teams, the Jazz, the Trailblazers, or not Trailblazers, it's Pelicans, um, and a few others. So otherwise, that's our games. Let's check in on those in-season tournament standings. So far, if the tournament started today, your teams from the East would be the Indiana Pacers from Group A, ahead of the Sixers, which is, again, that win was big last night. In Group B, the Miami Heat. In Group C, the Boston Celtics, just with a one win, zero losses. But if you were then to take a um, the wild card, I think it would be the Milwaukee Bucks because they're the, well, or, yeah, no, it would be the Atlanta Hawks. And that actually is a good point. Let me see if I can pull up that uh stat for us here the tiebreakers because that's a big factor and point differential is a part of it so here's how the uh tiebreakers are determined um as far as who's going to be making the tournament because you could have with only four games played there's a great a greater likelihood of, of equal records happening um so firstly it's the head-to-head record in group stage um, so if it's teams from the same, uh, group that would be factored in next is the total point differential. So that's where in this scenario we're looking at right now, there's two teams outside of the division or the group leaders that have undefeated records, but the Atlanta Hawks have a plus six point differential. The bucks have a plus five. So the Hawks would actually be the wild card in this situation, um, outside of that, if you still need a tiebreak, uh, it's the total points scored in the group stage. And then if you still need a tiebreaker, it's the prior season's regular season record. So they have it well thought out just in case, you know, the craziest possible scenario happens, but that would be your picture in the East in the West. You'd have the Lakers two and O in group a, the nuggets two and O in group B, and then the Timberwolves two and O in group C. Outside of that, there's three team, three other teams that are undefeated, but right now it would be the Utah Jazz, not only 2-0 as well, but they have a plus 22 point, uh, point differential. So at this moment, the Jazz could make the in-season tournament, and that would be very exciting, of course, for me as a Jazz fan. Uh, definitely excited to see that, and an exciting tournament so far. I think it's been a lot of fun, and again, it it adds intrigue Um there's that Cinderella element. And I don't think I really covered this well early on, but that's really the big thing is you, if you can have a team that's, you know, not really going to be a playoff contender or maybe miss the playoffs entirely, but they can string together a couple wins. 
that's where the intrigue starts. And then suddenly you have this tournament and it's, oh, the, you know, the Rockets or, you know, whatever team, the Jazz, the um, the Hawks, you know, they they made the tournament. They weren't expecting to be there. Now it's single elimination games. You have underdogs to root for. And it's all sorts of intrigue in November for the schedule. I think it's a lot of fun. I'm I'm sold for the most part early on. Um, and the players seem to be responding to it well. And again, it doesn't take away really anything or, or change too much except increase intensity of games in the regular season. So it's exciting stuff. But uh, otherwise, that's our update on game summaries. Let's real quick run through the key news. Uh, let me go ahead and refresh myself real quick. All right. Our key news, uh, we talked about Steph Curry missing the game, and he was out for that game last night with right knee soreness. He'll miss Thursday's game at home versus the Thunder. After that point, he'll maybe the next day or two after that, he'll be reevaluated. So it's not a big long-term injury, but they're just monitoring the situation. They're going to keep him out for a game or two, uh, let him kind of recover that knee. So definitely uh, fortunate it's not a worse situation, I suppose. Uh, for the Brooklyn Nets, uh, Ben Simmons is out with a pinched nerve in his lower back. He's going to be reevaluated in one week. Um, definitely not exciting for Nets fans to hear that, especially with his injury history and his back history over the last couple seasons. Uh, definitely concerning there. Uh, Chicago Bulls, um, DeMar DeRozan will be away from the team Wednesday uh, to attend to a family matter. So um, definitely something important there. We don't don't and shouldn't need any additional information uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. Good news. He returned to the Sixers practice facility this week. We mentioned uh, he was struck by a car uh, and had some injuries uh, a few days ago. So good to see him back this early on and that it could be not as severe of injuries as maybe you'd fear with that type of a headline. Um, real quick, all the guys who mentioned with injuries definitely want to wish them the best as they work to recover from those injuries. Um, next, we have some uh, transactions to make note of. Firstly, moves surrounding the Clippers um, and involving the Pacers as well. There's talks that the Pacers are going to buy out uh, Daniel Tice's contract or release him, uh, one of the two, depending on how the money all works out. And if that happens, the reports are that he will then plan to sign with the Clippers. Of course, they need some center depth after they lost their backup center, Mason Plumley, who's a great backup big. So, the reports are he would sign there. And then there's also talk that they're going to be converting guard Joshua Primo's contract to a standard contract. He's been on a two-way deal, which would then allow them to sign guard Xavier Moon to a two-way contract. So the Clippers potentially making some, some roster moves, and especially with a team that's struggled lately, they maybe think bringing in some center depth where they have the absence of Plumlee, that could help them out. We'll have to see how that works out. And again, this is all reportedly. We don't, this is not official. Uh, this could change within the next few days. This could end up being a wash and not happening. We'll have to see, but it could be a help for them. Um, <clears throat> and then finally, an interesting one, I guess, um, another, you know, official partner of the NBA in this category, Sotheby's named the NBA's official game worn source, I guess, just the official place to get game worn jerseys and and memorabilia and all that type of stuff for auctions um sotheby's i i am loosely familiar with the name 
in the fact that they do auctions and that's about all I know about them. So fair enough, I suppose. Otherwise that takes care of our key news. Um, real quick, an apology. I'm realizing I did not play the audio drop for our, our game summaries and our key news. So I apologize for that, but I do have our, uh, audio drop ready for our next segment. Um, our game segment for this week. Okay, this is going to be a pretty quick one. Um, of course, we do alternating weeks, um, and we're still maybe looking at rescheduling some of these things, simply because the plan was this was the episode, the Wednesday episode, where Justin would be on every week. With his schedule changing um, and his busyness during this season, um, that hasn't been able to to work out. So we've done the first week we did Justin's showdown, or not, we did uh, we did 20 guesses with Wyatt, um, which is, you know, you need two people to do that. Um, we also have Justin's showdown, which we did in week two, and that can be more just one person kind of talking through it and people can respond to us on our social media. And I'll take a ro- chance real quick to plug that um, on Instagram and Facebook crossover across time, pretty straightforward to find us on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer. It's X over across time, basically uh, the character limit there. Uh, kind of forces us to go with X over across time on all of those as well. You'll find a link tree that links to any of the other social media pages, but also links to the podcast itself. Of course, you're already listening, but if you don't know all the places we're on, we are on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts and RSS.com. So definitely check all of that, all of those out. We'll post on the socials about this, uh, this week's Justin's showdown. If you want to respond your thoughts on this one, feel free to do so this week. This one was one that I was thinking about the other day, and it's a, a near miss of a matchup, a potential finals matchup from the mid 2000s, early to mid 2000s, that if it had happened, would have been very intriguing. We're going to talk about the 05 Phoenix Suns. They were 62 and 20, of course, the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns, right as they broke out. And the 04, the 2004 Detroit Pistons, who won the championship four games to one over the Los Angeles Lakers, who had a stellar defensive run, one of the best defensive lineups, especially in their era. And they were the best defensive team in one of the better defensive eras in recent history. Um, Yeah, super intriguing matchup. High octane offense versus physical reputation defense. I mean, this was, you know, bad boys 2.0 or, you know, second generation bad boys. I feel like this would be super interesting. If you need a refresher on the rosters for the Suns, of course, Steve Nash, the point guard, he was the MVP of this season as he was the following season. Uh, You have Amari Stoudemire starting at center, uh, an athletic power forward playing the center spot, 26 points a game this year with nine boards and a block and a half. You had Sean Marion, uh, 20 points, 10 boards loosely with great defense. Joe Johnson starting this year as he really started to emerge uh, as a, a great scorer and Quentin Richardson as well. So this is one of the, you know, first long-term small ball lineups, if you will. Off the bench, they had some uh, 
some solid depth. I mean, Jim Jackson, veteran guard, uh, Leandro Barbosa, young up and coming guard. Um, and then they just had some, some versatile bigs who could play power forward center, maybe small forward. If you really wanted to stretch it, Stephen Hunter, um, Bo outlaw. They also had Walter McCarty who had played small forward as well. So, um, an interesting mix, not really a, a big point guard emphasis coming off the bench. I want to say they had a, and they got a few games out of smush Parker. I don't think he was there super long term. Meanwhile, for the 04 Pistons, again, a championship team, you had the underrated starting lineup and they made the trade at the trade deadline to bring in Rashid Wallace to start alongside Ben Wallace, not related, but the Wallace brothers, if you will, uh, great presence inside and Ben Wallace, especially 12 boards, three blocks, two steals. One of my favorite players of all time. Then you have Chauncey Billups at point guard, Rip, Rip Hamilton at shooting guard and Tayshawn Prince at small forward. Um, None of these guys scored a lot of points. The leading score was Rip Hamilton with 17 and a half points. Um, but boy, did they defend. I mean, they were stellar. They they made it tough for other teams. And then off the bench, you have Mamet Okur uh, as a very young player, a stretch five uh, who became a one-time all-star in Utah. You had Lindsey Hunter, a veteran point guard. You had Eldon Campbell, a veteran big. Corliss Williamson was an intriguing player. Mike James and Chucky Atkins with the point guard depth. This is a deeper team, I would say, than the Suns. And I would, you know, I I love, I have a bias, again, Ben Wallace and and that 04 team. I love that Pistons team. So I have a bias, I'll admit that. Um, The tool that I mentioned or the page that I mentioned the first time we did this, that whatifsports.com, they have a sim matchup tool, which will allow you to pick any team from any era and match it up with any other team and it will give you stats for the game and, and things like that. I ran through a, a few games. I kind of had an idea of what it would do, and now I have a better understanding of how the tool works. The The Suns won by landslides. Part of that was I realized after a couple of games, they had Ben Wallace getting like 12 minutes a game and being the third center off the bench for some reason. So I don't know. Something about that makes me think whoever created it, really favors the offense. And if we're honest, this matchup happening in today's NBA, it would probably be a pretty easy Suns win, but that doesn't tell the whole story. You know, I think especially with these these two teams playing close to the exact same season and exact era, um, this would be a very close matchup. And I would, I think it would be a, an exciting final series. Imagine if, you know, Nash had gotten to Phoenix just a year before and they had some of the same pieces in place and they had gone on that run. They upset the Lakers in the playoffs or or whoever it is, or the Spurs, and they get to the finals against the Pistons. That would have been super intriguing. I think it would have been a really close series. I'd say five or six games at least, maybe even seven, but I would still probably pick the Pistons to win just because, especially in that era, teams weren't scoring as much. Defense was, was, a lot more prevalent. They were doing a lot more things defensively. Ben Wallace's impact inside. Um, and they had great perimeter defenders. You know, Tayshawn Prince was huge. Rip Hamilton was a great defender. Chauncey Billups, Rashid. I mean, these guys were all pretty versatile in their own right. All athletic for the most part. Um, the bench is a little more traditional in their lineup or, or their positioning rather, but 
I don't know. I would favor the Pistons in this matchup, but definitely chime in on our socials, kind of who you think would win, your thoughts on the series, all that kind of good stuff. I think that's an intriguing one to talk about. Um, but yeah, real quick, that's our our uh, Justin's showdown for this week. And again, named for, for Justin, who kind of first introduced the segment uh, last season in the podcast. So definitely want to give him credit there. Real quick, uh, let's do our weekly predictions before we get things wrapped up. Weekly predictions. Okay, this one is going to be pretty straightforward. And I feel bad because we've been talking about this team a lot in a lot of the recent episodes. I'll just go ahead and say it. The LA Clippers will be ousted or eliminated in this year's play-in tournament. I'll talk about it for a minute and then I'll leave it at that because I I think they will turn it around, but I'm going to I'm going to lay this out as a prediction cuz I also feel like it's it's very possible. You know, they've lost how many straight games here? Let me make sure I get the uh correct numbers for you. They're currently 12th in the West, not counting any of today's games that have or have not been played um three and seven record and they've lost how many straight can i get a schedule and results there we go six straight games um they lost these games aren't blowouts necessarily i don't know it just seems it just feels off, you know. They have the injury with Mason Plumley again to worry about. They're incorporating a new player a few just a few games into the season with Harden. Um, you know, the ball can only be in so many people's hands in, in such a short amount of time. I don't know. They have the talent. I feel like they can pull it together, but I honestly I feel like I should lock this in as a prediction because I think it could it could happen um just because they've been they've been concerning but again we've talked about it you know ad nauseum to this point so I'll leave it at that and uh go ahead and work on getting things wrapped up for you here. Um firstly we'll start with this day in history uh or the stay in history fact for you. We're gonna go back to 1960 uh, November 15th of 1960, Elgin Baylor of the Los Angeles Lakers tallied 71 points, which was at the time an NBA record for points by a player in a game in a 123 to 108 victory over the Knicks in New York. Baylor's record lasted less than two years as Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points against the New York Knicks on March 2nd of 1962. Very interesting that both of those happened against the Knicks. The Knicks were very good in the fifties, but in the sixties, for the most part, they were pretty bad. So kind of a fun note, but there was also a lot less teams. There was maybe, Oh, in the sixties, I want to say 10 teams at that point, something like that. Um, So a lot greater chances that something like that's going to happen against the same team, but still very funny. Um, And also interesting to note that 71 point total in particular because we had two 71 point games last season Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell so definitely fun to 
uh, point that one out. But otherwise, that takes care of our show for today. I want to thank everyone again for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, on Friday, we'll be talking, of course, the game summaries and key news from Wednesday tonight, um, as well as Thursday. We'll also get into uh, a franchise focus, this time talking about the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, for a brief time, the Charlotte Bobcats, but uh, Charlotte Hornets. We'll talk our Fantasy Friday stuff. We'll check in on some of our predictions for the first time, which we haven't done yet. And then we'll forecast the rest of the uh, we'll forecast the weekend's games for you. So, uh, again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back on Friday. We'll uh, we'll see you then. 